Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hi, folks. Welcome to this week's episode of the Take On Board podcast. Uh, I'll start with just a couple of announcements, but I promise to keep them brief. First up, and I can't stop saying this one, thank you so much for sharing this podcast with your friends and with your colleagues. And a huge welcome to those of you who are here because someone shared it with you. Welcome to the Take On Board community. We're not just a podcast, we're a thriving, engaged community who love talking all things governance. So thanks for listening and I welcome you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group or the Take On Board LinkedIn group. Now, a few events to announce. We had our Take On Board book club just last night and as always, it was an incredibly lively, interesting discussion. If you'd like to come to the next one, it's in November and we'll be talking about director self-care. The book is called Me First – The Guilt-Free Guide to Prioritising You by Kate Christie. Also in November, our next Take On Board Breakfast with Rosalind Noonan, the former New Zealand Human Rights Commissioner, and she'll be talking about the sometimes blurry line between governance and management. There's a link to all of these events in the show notes. And my shout-out of the week goes to Kelly O'Callaghan, who's just been awarded Fellowship of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Congratulations, Kelly, and to all others who also have this FAICD post-nominal. It's actually something I get asked about all the time. Am I eligible? Should I apply? What's the criteria? So I've done a podcast about it. You'll hear that in a couple of weeks. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. I'd like to start by acknowledging that I am recording on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and future. I also acknowledge and respect the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practice of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And I extend that respect to any First Nations people we might have here with us today. Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Robin Weatherly about board capability and effectiveness. First, let me tell you about Robin. Robin is a practitioner, advisor and published author in corporate governance, board operations and board effectiveness. She's worked across listed and government entities, financial services and health, and she's passionate about what great governance can do for our society and economy. She was previously on a board of a very small theatre company, 
Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Robin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. It is so awesome to have you here. So Take On Board peeps. In fact, those of you that are listening who have done board Kickstarter, Robin will be very familiar to you because not only is her book Eyes Wide Open, A First Timer's Guide to the Real World of Boards and Company Directorship, a Bible for them. It should be a Bible for all of you. And Robin comes and speaks to our group at the last session. So it is awesome to finally get you here on the pod as well so we can share your wisdom with the broader Take On Board community. But before, as always, before we talk about board capability and effectiveness, we want to dig a little bit deeper about you. So Robin, can you tell me about your upbringing and the lessons that you learned, what you got up to and what the leading influences were on how you thought and what you did? Mm. Well, thank you. I actually grew up in a very small regional town in Queensland, and it was a situation where I had much older siblings. There was quite an age gap between us. And so I was left alone for quite a bit for long periods of time. And I think that that created or brought about and brought through a very strong creative streak in me and a very strong resourcefulness. We were not very wealthy, and so I had to use, you know, all sorts of interesting means of keeping myself amused as a child. I now look back on it with a bit of a a wry smile. And in fact, when I think about it, it actually points to the huge and unending curiosity I have about the world and about people. So I can connect the dots of how that little kid has grown into someone who is endlessly fascinated with uh, with the world, with the order of things, but particularly with people and how people interact with structures. And I think that's probably why I find uh, governance so fascinating. That sense of curiosity, even of asking good questions. Um, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love hearing people's stories about their background and, and how that fits to where they are today. That is just wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. So today we're talking about board capability and effectiveness. Oh my goodness, that could be a huge range of topics in there. So for you, where should we begin? Look, I agree with you. And, um, you know, from from you and I having uh, worked together and, and talked together, we could talk about things for, for hours on end. And look, board capability and effectiveness is a massive topic in and of itself. And like everything in governance, it's very subjective. We all have our own opinions and our own experiences with it. But there were a couple of things that I did want to uh, share with your audience in terms of things that particularly interest me. And effectiveness for me brings itself back to board capability. So I think that when we look at where boards do things very, very well, but also where they go wrong, for me, it more often than not will come back to capability. So to me, effectiveness is a subset of that. So I think if you don't get the core things right, you're really setting up the board for a really difficult time or for potential future failure. And we've seen that in so many recent and also historical examples that have been publicised where, you know, it was either poor composition, poor skill set poor governance, poor chairing, the lack of ability to manage conflicts, whatever it might be. So it really can become a murky, ugly soup if you don't get those key ingredients right as a part of board capability. And I suppose the ones that, I mean, one of my big beefs and having this conversation with you is for me, uh, you know, a conversation with the broader world as well. And I think it's just about conversation because governance 
is such a subjective area. So what I might actually have an issue with, others may not, and I I accept that. And actually, um, Helia, I must just pause and say at this point for your audience that before I get into my own technical reflections of um, what we're talking about today, the conversation that you and I are having is 100% my own personal views and are not reflective or indicative of the views or opinions or positions of any previous employer or current employer. They are 100% my own. So just so that your audience is is clear on that. There's good governance right there, just putting out there that it's from you and not from anybody else. Good governance right there. Absolutely. <laughs> So um, one of my one of the things I find immensely curious is the fact that to be a board director in this country, you need to be 18 years or over, you need to be an Australian citizen, and you need to have a pulse. Now, there is something fundamentally for me wrong with that, given the fact that to drive a car, uh, you need to be, a, a, you know, you need to be of around the same age group, but you need a pretest. Then you need to do, I think it's now an online test. And then, of course, you have to do the practical. And that also goes with, I think, a good 100-odd hours of practice. But then you actually have to prove that you can drive the car and drive it safely without impacting the lives of others on the road. If we think about how boards operate and your role on a board and the life-changing decisions that boards can often be involved in and which they govern over, it's really quite perverse that it is literally, you, you have to be, you know, able to stand upright and sign a form and you're in. Um, I just struggle with that concept in this country. I think that that's something that I'd love to see governments, our big governance forums, the AICD or others have a look at that. And I can appreciate that there'll be the argument around whether that might put people off. Well, I'm glad it would put people off because the ones who would actually go the extra mile to do what they need to do are the really the ones that we want at the table. And if we think about also back on the, the issue of uh, of getting your driver's licence, when you get older, you have to reapply and show that you're still okay to, to be safe on the road. So I would really love to see us introduce um, a basic test. I would like to see us um, potentially introduce um, some observational requirements where people actually need to attend a board meeting to understand what it's about before they get into it. But I categorically believe that they need to pass a test before they can sit on a board. And I think that should be retested every five years so that people are attesting and able to say that they are keeping up with legal developments, their responsibilities, et cetera. So I just think that there's the fact that we've got that gap to what I perceive as a gap in Australia at the moment is potentially uh, an issue for capability. The other one is having strong chairs, strong chairs who can and will manage conflict. Absolutely imperative. And I know where it sounds like I'm being unfair where I'm, I'm pinging it down to one individual. A board is not one individual. We all know that. But my gosh, that chair role is distinguished for a reason. It is paid more money for a reason. It has higher responsibilities for a reason. And if you don't get the right chair in place, your board capability and effectiveness will be highly impacted. I'm not quite sure whether there's been any studies done, and I certainly haven't done them for myself, but I know of situations, you know, from from colleagues and from other experiences where not having a chair who will manage conflict in a very 
direct and systematic way can be rather harmful. It, it has the potential to be. So I think it's just, I think when boards and, you know, appointing authorities, be they investors or others, are looking at the chair, it is critical that that chair can actually uh, actually undertake that work. It's not something that sits naturally with, with everyone, and we understand that, but it really needs to be tested thoroughly when uh, when that particular role is being appointed. I could not agree more. The chair is key to the culture of the board. The board is, is key to the culture of the organisation and the chair is key to the culture of the board. You know, it's interesting. I was reflecting with somebody uh, very recently who I interviewed as well and we were talking about the chair and it's the only position in the organisation that's not individually answerable to another individual. You know, like the the board is collectively answerable, I get. I mean, of course, they're answerable to the shareholders or the stakeholders or the members, but in an individual sense, it's normally to the chair. The CEO is answerable. They're the conduit to the board through the chair. The chair isn't. The chair is just the chair. They are kind of the, the peak of the pile or whatever it may be. So they're not answerable to anybody except collectively at the board and... You know, so if, if the chair is key to this, and I agree wholeheartedly, what if your chair's the problem, Robin? What happens then? Oh, super tricky, super tricky. It really comes down to, I'm a big believer, and I repeat this quite often, and I do say it quite often in my book, that context is everything in governance, for me anyway. And so it comes down to uh, whether you're a public or private entity, whether you're government or, or you know, whether you're unlisted, et cetera. Government boards can have some nuances about them um, depending on the enabling legislation as to, you know, who selects that chair and, you know, whereas in other situations the board themselves can choose the chair. So it is very dependent on the situation involved and I think it's like any other relationship where communication and dialogue and transparency, honesty really has to come to the fore and we really need to be reminding everybody who is in that board space that it has to be a selfless appointment in terms of your ego has to sit at the door. It has to actually sit outside the door because the the benefit and the interests of everyone inside that boardroom and everyone who you impact from a staffing point of view, stakeholders, community, they have to come before your ego. So I would encourage people to be brave and courageous and direct and transparent with be it their board colleagues or with the chair themselves or indeed depending on the context as to who is the best person to talk to but it may be that and it often is that if you are thinking individually as a director that your chair is a problem it's quite likely that others are as well and it does surprise me quite often how people actually know that there's an underlying problem and will not bring that forward. Now, that does take a lot of courage and I appreciate that, but this is where you wear your big pants. This is not, boards are not places to be so collegiate that you can't have a safe place to have a a dispute or to have a conversation. So, and it's like the performance of any other director, which, you know, the board, the, the chair is also responsible for. So if there is an underperforming director on your board, that is the chair's responsibility to say and to have the right conversation with that person as to how they can either lift their capability and performance or how they can look to, you know, uh, agree to, to exit them from the board. So when you go onto a board, it is it is not a space where 
if you are not a person who is comfortable to have the right conversations with the right people at the right time, then it's really not a, a place for you. And, you know, you might have all of the, the great technical skills and have um, a lot of diversity characteristics and have a ton of experience. But if you're not going to have the right conversations with people that benefit to utilitarian space, it's got to be for the greater good. So when it gets tricky with the chair, there's got to be some conversations. Look at the context of the organisation and and the board, how the chair is appointed. If you don't feel safe talking about it within that particular board space, you might have a hypothetical, uh, you know, discussion with, you know, an external colleague who's also on boards or maybe with a mentor, et cetera. But yeah, have a look at your context and go from there as to what would be the best way to affect change. And just finally, I'd add with that, sometimes we think that chairs are like parents where they have all the answers and they know how to do all the stuff. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they may not. It might be a blind spot for them. And sometimes you will just have a person who you can give continual advice to and they just will not bend. And in that case, you have to make a call as as a director as to whether or not that's the right space for you. There is always an opt-out clause when you're a board director. No one forces you to be there, you know, at any time. So there's always that option for you. But I think that we we do also need to realise that um, chairs are only human and sometimes they they may not have all the answers and particularly if they're, they're not experienced. Oh, that is so interesting. Chairs won't always see that. People don't always like being on a board. Being on a board is a human experience, and humans are imperfect, and sometimes won't see things about themselves. And I guess the biggest favour you can do is, in a constructive, positive way, raise issues with the individuals that might not be showing up as we would all hope that they would show up in that way. And there's also, just to close off that topic, I suppose, there's um, always the, you know, you'd hope that there's an annual board review, even if it's an internal uh, once every couple of years, and then you might do an external. Use that opportunity. Don't don't hide behind it and think that you'll be found out or if it is a, a proper anonymous process. If, if it's not appropriate or if there's not a, a good avenue, if it's too political of a space or whatever it is for you to be able to have those open conversations, which would be a shame that that's a big indicator to me that there's something wrong on a much bigger basis there. You know, you can always use those board reviews. And then if, if nothing comes from that, then I'd look about you know, what are your values? What, you know, and how much of an issue is that chair impacting your experience and your ability to contribute, but also to the effectiveness of that board? If the chair is literally ruining the experience and it's not, you know, a good space for anyone, then, you know, you've got options. You've always got options in the board space. So exactly. No one's holding you there. I just want to, a a side note, I guess, one of the things you had spoken about there is about board directors, chairs and board directors leaving their ego at the door. I did hear a story recently about, uh, not in the board context, and I'm not sure this would happen in the board context, but at the kind of chair of a meeting, not a board, they literally had a hat stand at the door. And as people would come in, they're like, hang your ego up there. Like it was this symbol about leaving your ego at the door that they would do and everybody who came to that meeting was kind of symbolically invited to leave their ego at the door. And I love that idea. I love it. Yeah. It reminds me of Survivor where um, although Survivor, others vote you off the island, but I always say that in going onto a board, 
you have to be prepared to vote yourself off. So, you know, really good directors know when it's time to go. They know when they've value added to the greatest extent they can for the period of time that the life stage of that board or of the company that's a really good director and it's an effective director because directors can be effective across different board scenarios and in different environments and that will change and waver all through their director career. So there will be times where um, you'll be of far more benefit and far more effective in your role uh, perhaps than in others. It's it's just like, um, um, you know, any other role. It's just something to keep in mind from that spectrum basis that, um, and as you said, it's it's a humanistic space and it intersects with the law and a lot of regulation and a lot of structure. But ultimately, you know, it does come down to the humans at the table uh, and their EQs as well. So, so it's interesting that as well. I'm wondering, you know, EQ and those personal capabilities, you know, we've already talked about a range of them, curiosity, trust, honesty, courage, all of those kind of things that make up the capability of somebody in the boardroom. I wonder how, maybe you can, I'm not sure, like I'm reflecting on this licence, licence for board directors. And, you know, it's a little like the hard skills, soft skills sort of stuff. It's a bit easier to test the hard skills than it is the soft skills. Any reflections on how we can test for some, and I don't think they are soft skills. I don't necessarily like the terminology around that because I think they are key. They're probably the human skills rather than... I was going to say rather than the technical skills, although they're probably yeah. technical as well. I don't know, Robin. Help me get out of this. What, what's my question and, and what are your reflections on it? <laughs> I, I think EQ can be taught. And, I mean, that's a very subjective subject because I know that there are some people who are adamant that it can't, that you're born with it or you're not. It's like leadership. Leadership can be taught. For me, the, one of the things around capability and effectiveness is how do you know what good looks like? And it goes to this EQ question of I've seen directors learn from others in the room. So if you are exposed to good, to what good looks like, particularly in your early years, I mean, there's always room for growth. And even, you know, the most experienced eminent directors are always growing and developing. But if you can be exposed to some really great effective directors who ask questions really constructively, who understand the right questions to ask, who understand and use their role at the board table to benefit and advance the organisation, but they're doing it in a way that they're actually fulfilling their duties. So they're looking for that assurance. They're asking the right questions. They're getting to the answers or they're taking the right routes to get to the answers that they're looking for. The ineffective director will just be making noise for the sake of making noise. And sometimes they can look to have a poorer EQ than others who are constructive, who are actually doing their job. Sometimes, you know, management can be offended by the fact that people are asking them questions, but that's an issue for management. That's not an issue for you as a director. So going back to your point, some directors are just belligerent individuals who will never learn. And there are some people who will never change their style from the first day of their first appointment to the last day of their last tenure. There are just some people like that in the world, because as you said before, this is a human space. Really good, effective directors who are great contributors and who are are just exceptional in what they do, they learn from others. They watch and they listen and they look to see the techniques that those directors use in order to get the assurance that they're looking for and to get the information that they're looking for in a way that is respectful, but in a way that is doing their job. Now, there's a lot of 
practice in that. It means being exposed to the practices of others. I know having sat across board tables for hundreds of meetings across five boards myself, that I've seen phenomenal directors who can ask those questions and they've just learned through practice and they've learned from others of how to craft the questions and understanding the subject area that they're talking about and asking about, but coming back to the governance fundamentals, you know, show me, tell me, can we, but should we, all those sorts of things. It's a big part of that. So I don't think you could test for it. I probably wouldn't be you know, when you've got open questions like that in a, in a testing format, it's probably not something that can be tested. For me, it's something that's more developed and grown with you over time through experience and exposure. Uh, and that's just time in the chair. It would be more the technical aspects of what it means to be a board director that I would be more interested in from the getting past the front gate type of setup mm-hmm. uh, in terms of a testing regime. So, but I think the other comes from experience in the chair. I think that's right. In fact, I'm going to ask you about that in a moment then. So, but but I'll just throw in, um, it's prompted me, there is, um, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but there is a tool, I just can't remember the name of it, for measuring EQ. You can measure EQ and if you do that with individuals, then that will give them their areas of focus for building their EQ. Oh, ah, that's very interesting. So it is. Uh, yeah. Shout out to the fabulous Kathy McKenzie from Fire Up Coaching, um, who I did my initial coach training with years ago. Uh there is a tool for that. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes because I can't remember the name of it. And in fact, I might even see if I can get Kathy on to talk about that because I think that would be a really useful tool for the boardroom. And maybe I'll explore my own accreditation in that in the future. Anyway, pop that in there. So you've talked about, you know, the time in the chair, the experience in the chair. You know, you've spent countless hours in the boardroom with boards. I'm wondering from your own observations from that, if there's any stories you're able to share with us that illustrate some of these capabilities and, you know, again, caveat on that in as much detail as you're able to share either the stories or even the lessons from those stories. Well, as you said, um, I can't, you know, be too identifying in in anything that that I share with everyone. And you're right, I've sat across hundreds of meetings in my time and it's, it's been the most incredible experience in terms of what it teaches you. But In terms of a story, I've seen a few times where, and I say it in this regard, that if it smells fishy, stir the mud and get in underneath it. If something's bothering you, I've seen directors who that's happened to and they've not acted on it and then those who have. And my gosh, it can be quite the revealing experience. So if you've got an itch, you need to scratch it and don't feel paranoid about it. Trust your intuition. I have seen, as I said, directors who've gone in both directions with that. So if it goes down a road where it means that, you know, you were fishing up the the wrong end of the river or whatever it means, it costs you nothing except for a little bit of time. I would rather you do that than not ask the question. I think that's an imperative. And, And as I said, I have seen directors in that regard. The other thing is it's a hard one because we do want directors to be governing on well-founded facts, great independent assurance, really great reporting coming from good systems, et cetera. But there's also part of being a director where you need to listen to the canaries in your gold mine. If they're singing or starting to sing or you're starting to hear some humming in the background, usually there's a little, you know, it's the whole where there's smoke, there's fire. I would not ignore that. I've seen directors again who've heard it, listened to it, look for some patterns, others who've ignored it completely. 
And it's a little bit linked to the first point that we were talking about before. There are some signs that you can read where, you know, you're hearing a little bit of water cooler talk around, you know, maybe before board, after board, maybe, you know, around some events that you go to, or it might be thinking about things that are actually happening in the boardroom. So, for example, papers starting to be withdrawn, incomplete reports, action items being laboured, management not really able to give concrete answers to your questions, or even when all the reporting on your um, progress reports for, for management, if they're all showing green, there's something not right with that. So it's sort of about, it's not only, you know, the, the things that you're hearing coming out of people's mouths, but it's also looking about the actions and looking more broadly, sitting back broadly and looking at the environment and going, actually, is everything adding up here for me? And if it's not, you're actually compelled to ask the question. Uh, and as I said, it costs you nothing to ask the question and you're in a far better place to be asking that question up front than not. And I would also encourage directors to be brave in not, some directors will only do that in private session because they think it's appropriate. If you're not getting the um, traction that you need in those private sessions with your other directors, I think that you're compelled to bring it out into the open. So there is one thing, I would really encourage people to get independent assurance on what I call the mega risks. So um, I have seen companies, and this is both, you know, in the media and my, my own experience and colleagues, and it's a whole mixture of different experiences, but getting independent assurance on your mega risks rather than only relying on internal management views, I think is a highly compelling attribute of being having a, an effective and capable board. It is a tool and, and as I said, this is on your mega risks. So sometimes management and boards can be too close to those things. Um, and the final thing I'd like to leave you with is about the board's role in culture, which I'm also pretty passionate about because I've seen boards grapple with this. This is such an opaque topic. It's really, really super hard to teach. Uh, and it is something that boards are learning about as they grow together as, as time passes. But, and there's a book we'll talk about later, I think, the book from um, Samantha Cromvoitz. But where I'm going with this particular point is that I would really encourage boards as, a, and this comes from stories and it does come from experience. When your boards are looking at culture, people like to start with values. You know, what are our values? I would encourage you to get into the dirt first and work your way up from there because you want to see where your influence points are. You actually need to get in and understand the drivers of your culture, not just what you think it is and what you want it to be. You have to work with actually what you've got. And if you've got structural components in your, say you've got a distributed workforce or you've got issues in how your REM is structured or how your organisation is structured, if you've got power bases that sit a long way from your board, you can have the greatest values in the world and it will get you nowhere. So if you don't get in underneath and understand from the ground up how that organisation is structured and where the power and influence bases are, you will never effectively govern from a cultural point of view. So that comes from, you know, personal experience and it's one that can really um, catch boards up, I think. Oh my God, so much gold in there. Robin, what a fabulous conversation about board capability, board effectiveness. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Yeah, you know, as you would have picked up throughout, I'm I'm very, very big on people. You, you don't have to have experience getting onto a board. You have to start somewhere. Even our most eminent directors in Australia and in fact globally, everyone had their first board meeting 
their first appointment, their first of everything. So this is not about saying we want you to be a superstar of some regard. I, I, I want directors to sign up for this, for their appointments with proper regard for the responsibilities at hand. Get educated at least know your basic legal and governance responsibilities. Don't just get on there and wing it. You are responsible legally for what you are doing and how you are impacting others. So I think you owe it to your fellow board members and anyone associated with your organisation and the community. I want you to make sure, I want you to have the basics. Um, It is not just another job. You have to be prepared to be accountable to your stakeholders and society You can't just wipe your hands of it and say, oh, well, I was one of 10. You are also an individual in this space. You have to keep up your education in the industry that you're in. I want you to be brave and courageous and intensely curious as a director. Be intensely curious. It will always play in your favour. Pursue information and assurance until you're happy. You have to make sure that you're scratching that itch. And do your homework deeply. This is the last point. Do your homework deeply before accepting an appointment. Not only is this going to, you know, this is not about how it looks on your CV. I I appreciate that people do this as a profession. There is no doubt about that. And I value that because, you know, they can be exceptional directors. Not every board offered to you or not every board opportunity available may be the right one for you. So do your due diligence deeply do your homework make sure that you're the right fit for them they're the right fit for you and that you understand what you're getting yourself into and I went into quite a bit of detail about this in my book just to help people who are new in the space to think about what are the questions that I should be looking at and asking it's far better to do the work up front and to say no than to get yourself into something that gets ugly very quickly that you actually could have investigated pretty easily yourself so that's kind of my roundup of uh, things on that topic. Again, side note, I had a conversation with one of my board Kickstarter alumni recently. She'd been offered a board role and there were some alarm bells for her. So we had a conversation about it. She ended up saying no to that role. And right. as part of the, yeah, I, I said to her, this conversation is making my heart sing. I mean, obviously part of board Kickstarter is I want to see women in the boardroom, but I want to yeah. see them in the right boardrooms. Again, 10 out of 10 to this woman. She also gave the organisation feedback about, she asked them if they wanted feedback, they were open to it, and she gave them feedback about what it was that had some alarm bells ringing for her. So it's also an opportunity for that organisation to grow. But she took some of the eyes wide open from you, Robin, and uh, did exactly that, which is fantastic. Sometimes saying no is exactly the right thing to do. People listening to your podcast should know that um, even the most eminent directors, I mean, you know, yes, they have, you know, you get to a point if, if you are very well known that, you know, you 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 do get a lot of things thrown your way. But geez, they say a lot of uh, no to a lot of things as well. So and, and it's a very regularised space. It doesn't matter whether you're um, a member of one board or 10 boards and at what level or sophistication, you know, the company is at. Um, it is a level playing field in that regard, and you have to look after your own interest in that in 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 that space. And I'm really really pleased for your colleague from uh, from Kickstarter because that means that she's had the right tools and the right sort of information from you to to have that confidence. And that's what we need people doing because we want boards to be a space where people want to gravitate to to value add and to contribute and also to learn but we've got to be pragmatic about it as well it's like having a bad boyfriend well just to have a boyfriend it it's it doesn't cut it you don't want a bad boyfriend just to have a boyfriend it's like that with boards you don't want a bad board 
just to have a board on your CV. It's just never, ever going to be worth the heartbreak. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> um, Robin, is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? There is a particular book that I'm currently obsessed with that I've actually given a copy to pretty much everyone I know. It was a book I was given by a previous CEO and it's by an author and I do apologise to her if I'm not pronouncing her surname correctly. It's Samantha Cromvoit. So it's C-R-O-M-P-V-O-E-T-S is her surname. It's a little pocketbook, just takes you a couple of hours to read, which I actually love because it means that you can, you know, get into a topic and get thinking about it straight away. But it's called Bloodlust, Trust and Blame. And she actually, she's a sociologist and she did some work for the ADF. It actually regards some of the atrocities that happened in Afghanistan, et cetera. But the reason why it's pertinent for boards, I think, and executives and any kind of management team is that it actually looks at the role that that we in Australian media and governance circles, and I suppose also in, you know, HR and org circles, the prominence that we give to culture as a blanket blame for things as to why things go wrong in organisations. And it goes back to an earlier point I was sharing with you when we were talking about board effectiveness is you know, sometimes you have to look at where the structure and power influences are in order to more deeply understand what went wrong in an organisation. And I actually agree with Samantha in the research that she did and the position that she took that across all mediums, as I said, medium, uh, media governance circles, you know, organisational discussions, that we actually stamp culture as the reason for certain things happening or not happening. And I think I agree with her that it's too broad and it's too high level that we're not getting in underneath those structural components. And she actually found through her work with the ADF that it was legislative issues, it was um, workplace structural issues, it was distributed workforces, it was where those power bases lay. And it wouldn't have mattered what happened at the top if they didn't understand what was happening out where the actual power was held. And I just found it so compelling because if you think about as directors, if you're involved in an organisation that has either an egocentric or a specialised skills workforce or a distributed workforce, this makes fascinating and compelling reading. And as I said, you can knock it over in a couple of hours. It's beautifully written and I give full credit to her. So that's the book I'm currently obsessed with that I tend to give a copy to everybody. So I'd encourage all of your readers to, um, I've got no connection to it, but um, it, it is a favourite of mine. And it's just one of those books that you wouldn't think it has an alignment to, to boards and governance. But for me, it was a massive, I really sat back and I went, wow. Fantastic. You know, I will put a link to that in the show notes, B. I might even reach out to her and see if she wants to come on the podcast, given that's the prompting oh, for it. So fantastic. Yeah, Great. Oh, Robin, thank you. So many wonderful insights here. You've been an incredible supporter and font of wisdom for the Board Kickstarter program ever since we began, I think. And as you could hear from the story I told before, those lessons are, they're live for them. So thank you so much for doing that for many years. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing some of your wisdom with the Take On Board community. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute joy and privilege. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. 
Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd really love it if you could also do some of the other podcast things. Share with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And, well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.